Take your seats, and as you do that, go ahead and open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. While we're continuing our series this morning on the church, looking at what the Word of God has to teach us about what it means to be part of a healthy, biblical church. And as we've been going through this series, there's been another number of series going on around us as well. I'm thinking of four series in particular, the current one being the championship series. Maybe some of you have been following the Toronto Raptors run, hopefully towards victory. I know many have uh, gone downtown. Maybe you've seen in the news. Maybe it's been one of you. Uh, just these, these thousands upon thousands of people who have been flocking downtown Toronto to watch these games. I, I read this week that um, about 5,000 people can fit outside the arena to watch these games, and there's been upwards of 10,000 people even beyond that in the surrounding area, in addition to the 20,000 people inside the arena cheering on their team. And then I also read this week that uh, there's been TV records set for Canadian viewership for these first two games of the NBA Finals. We've seen uh, about 5 million people on average watching those games in Canada, and anywhere up to about 10 million people at any time during those games tuning in to watch these professional athletes put on display the skills and the abilities that they have to try and win the game. Now, why do I say all of this? Because tomorrow night you need to be watching. (laughs) Kidding, I I didn't come to to plug the Raptors this morning. I came to, to, to say this. That's a lot of spectators, isn't it? It's a lot of spectators. Considering that there's really at any point during the game just just 10 players working towards participating in, in accomplishing the objective in the most meaningful way while everybody else watches on. A small number of people spending themselves with a disproportionately more amount of spectators looking on, and I say this because the sad reality is that in many churches, this is what it looks like. This is the case in in an unhealthy church where too few people are actively engaged in properly pursuing the goal. They're sitting back, never getting in the game, watching a small minority of others spend themselves for the sake of the whole. And God's word teaches us that it ought not to be this way. Everybody in the church is supposed to be in the game, so to speak. If we were going to compare the church to a sporting event, all of us would be players on the team. Pastor Ian said last week that the strength and health of the church is the responsibility of each and every single one of her members. And this morning, what we want to do is we want to look at this in more detail and see what it means for us to be a contributing people. A contributing people. And here's what we're going to see this morning. We're going to see that a healthy church cannot exist without the people of the church intimately bonding together and making use of their various God-given gifts and abilities to play a part in building one another up. As the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth, we see back in chapter 3 that he couldn't address them as spiritual people. He tells them that he wanted to feed them solid food, but he couldn't because they were acting childish. childish. Instead of being ruled by the Spirit of Christ, they were following after their own sinful desires. And a big part of their problem was their wrong thinking about the way that each and every individual in the church contributes or doesn't contribute to the health of the church. There's fighting going on, arguing, boasting, jockeying for what was regarded as more important functions and what was perceived to be more prominent positions and titles and roles within the church. Some of them, at least, were supposing that to not have some of these so-called extraordinary gifts that were easily recognizable, maybe in out-front ministries, meant that they were useless 
in the church. And of course, this isn't the case. And in our church, we want to make sure that we're learning from God's word so as to guard against this same kind of childish thinking. So that we're properly understanding and and living the way that God calls us to as a healthy, contributing people. We're going to see this morning three ways that each one of us contributes to the biblical picture of the church. And the first comes in chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. Let's look at God's word together. Paul writes, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. In these verses we see that in a biblical church, we contribute to the unity of the church. We contribute to the unity of the church. According to God's plans and purposes, we together as the church of Jesus Christ are meant to bond with each other in such sweet harmony in order to function together as one because we are one. The metaphor for the body and the church may be a familiar one to you, maybe not. And so it's important that we remember here that Paul is drawing out in these verses an analogy from the human body. He's saying this, he's saying, think about it. You, you're one person, right? You're one body, and yet your body is made up of a whole lot of different parts. Head and shoulders, knees and toes. I'm not going to sing it. That, that, and that's only some of the outward stuff we're made of, right? Let alone all that's beneath the surface. All, all the different systems of the body that God has designed within each and every one of us to, to work together as one body. We have many members and yet we're still one. This is Paul's point here. This is what he's drawing our attention to. And as he makes this analogy, he says, so it is with Christ. With Christ. And we might expect the end of verse 12 to say, so it is with the church, right? That's what maybe we would think naturally he should be saying. But he says instead, so it is with Christ. And so as we begin to see the inseparable connection shared among the people of the church, we see most importantly here what this is founded upon, and that's the connection that is inseparable between Jesus and his church. Every single one of us who belongs to Christ has been by his spirit immersed into his spiritual body. If you've believed the good news of Jesus Christ, if you have acknowledged before God that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, and you've come to to Jesus alone for the forgiveness of your sins because of what He did for you on the cross, then you're part of Christ's body. The Word of God says He's taken out your old heart. He's put in a new one. He's taken out your old spirit and He's put a new spirit within you. This is what Paul is talking about here in verse 13 when he talks about baptism. It's not talking here about water baptism, which is a symbol, an outward symbol of this inward spiritual reality that's already taken place. And next week, Pastor Ian's going to talk more about baptism, so I'm not going to say too much more here on that, only to say this, that Paul's point is that if you belong to Christ... If you've been made a new person through the Spirit's power and presence in your life, then you're united to Jesus. And by necessity, you're united also to the other people in the church who have experienced this very same thing and have received this very same Spirit. Ethnic background doesn't matter. Social status doesn't matter. How much money you have doesn't matter. 
the color of your skin, your age, the particular way in which you contribute to the health of the church, none of these distinctions are allowed to cause division in Christ's body. There's one Lord and one Spirit. So how can we be divided? Can Christ be divided? That's, that's the question. That's the question that, that Paul asked back in chapter 1. Incredulously, he, he looks at the Corinthian church who's, who's not unified and he says, is Christ divided? Go back to chapter 1. I, I want to show you this. Because division in this letter is, is such a, an important priority to address for the Apostle Paul. In chapter 1, in verse 10, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? He's like, are you kidding me, he says? You're you're breaking unity and forming these little divisions among yourselves based on your favorite ministry leader? This is outrageous. This is not the kind of church we want to be. And by the grace of God, I, I I want to take a minute to just commend you for your unity. I, th- I think it's appropriate. Hopefully you would agree to, to acknowledge and commend where, where honor is due. And, and one of the things I love about our church, I love many things about our church, is, is that we are a church that exemplifies and, and practically lives out a whole lot of experiential unity among one another. It's really sweet to see as one of the leaders. And I know many of you comment on that. Even some of you who are new share this. As, as being something you see among us. And that is such a sweet thing, brothers and sisters. We're not a perfect church, that's for sure. We've got lots of room to grow. But by and large, we're, we're not a divided people. And we're resolved to maintain this unity, amen? By the Spirit of Christ within us. We're resolved to link arms with one another and to make sure we're seeing each other as fellow members of the body of Christ. Many members, yet one body. One body. And I just want you to do something really, really weird right now. Just look around. Okay, look around at one another. And as you look around at your church family, remember this. They're a part of you, and you're a part of them. And as you look at them, you need to say this. We are all one body. We're all one body. We're different. We're all unique. And this is what Paul is going to go on to address now in, in verse 14. He, he says this. He says, for the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Here we see, secondly, that we contribute to the diversity of the church. We contribute to the diversity of the church. We're a church united, but we're a diverse people. In the first two verses, the emphasis is on the oneness of the body. In these verses, the emphasis is on the variety within the one body. Not every member is the same, and that's okay. 
In fact, it actually only makes sense that it would be this way. My, my, my physical body, if, if every part of my body was an ear, then I would cease to be a body. Right? I would just be some weird piece of art. A bunch of ears just stuck together. <laughs> Good for nothing because even an ear or a bunch of ears together can't even do what they're supposed to do if they're on their own by themselves. A human body is what it is because of its diverse parts. It's part of what it means. Each individual component is designed to do what it uniquely does, contributing to the overall functioning of the whole. These diverse parts of the body are meant to work together, and it would be really, really foolish if because of their differences, they began to compare their importance with other parts within the same body in the way that's described in these verses. We, we read it, right, and it sounds a little funny, right? Feet and ears contemplating their usefulness and voicing their complaints that they're not hands and eyes. And we're meant to read this and see how ridiculous it is. And we need to carry this analogy into the church. As it is, with our human bodies, every member of the church is designed by God and given its special, specific role to play. Look again at verse 18. This is really a key verse here in this passage. It says, But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as He chose. So listen, if you're in Christ this morning, It's such a blessing to remember that you've been made by God in a unique way. He's placed you in this body to be a useful contributor to Jesus' church in just the way that he has designed for you. And this is not talking, by the way, about personality. The context of our passage this morning is within a larger section where Paul is dealing with spiritual giftedness. Look back at verse 4 in chapter 12. Paul says, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what? to look good, to to accumulate praise for themselves? No, for what? For the common good. For the common good. God gifts each and every one of His children with abilities uniquely suited for them to work in and amongst the body of Christ for the good of everybody else. This is amazing to think about the unique mix of abilities that you have that you alone possess by the Holy Spirit can be used to contribute to your church family. God has custom made you to play your role in the church. And God's word this morning wants to tell each of us, don't think that you're a lesser part of the body because you're not contributing in the exact same way that you see someone else contributing. Each of you are who who you are because God made you that way. God has an intended reason for you in the church. The body is unified and diverse and so far we've seen these two things in this passage this morning but really it begs the question for what? Like to what end? Why are we supposed to be unified together? Why, why are we a bunch of different individuals who've been gifted in unique ways? And we've already kind of seen it there in verse 7, right? It's for the common good of others. It's to play our part in building one another up. And that's what I want to draw our attention to here with, with the bulk of our time in God's Word this morning. Look at verse 21. Paul goes on to say, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. But on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. 
And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body. Let's stop there. And let's see this. Let's see that when members function the way that we ought, we contribute to the maturity of the church. When members function the way that we ought, we contribute to the maturity of the church. As the members of each local church contribute to the care of one another, the body grows up together. This is God's design. God never intended for us to move on from infancy to spiritual maturity on our own. Nor does he even intend to do this solely through the leadership of the church. And yet, some of you may be trying to grow your faith in these ways. You think, you know, just, just me and God, that's enough. Or, or just me and God and my Bible, and I'm going to grow. Or, or just me and God and my Bible and listening to, to preaching, and I'm going to grow. Or just me and, and God and my Bible listening to preaching, and just, just a couple of people, select few people that I really you know, like and, and feel like I'm the same as, and I'll grow. This is not the biblical picture. This is not what God shows us in His Word is His design for the church and for how each and every one of us is to be contributing. Some of you are not truly engaged in the life of the body. You're not letting others influence you the way that God has designed and you're not influencing others. And I just need to say that this is silo Christianity and it doesn't work. It's not God's plan. We've not, we've not been designed to grow in isolation from the entire church body. And maybe, maybe there's some of you who don't even realize the need for spiritual maturity in the first place. You, know, you say, well, well, that's fine if, if others are serious about growing, but not everybody has to do that. Not everybody has to pursue to grow in their faith. And to this, the Bible just simply says you're wrong. You're wrong. That's, that's not what God has told us in his word. Maturity, spiritual maturity, is, is God's will for every true follower of Christ. Okay, are you hearing me loud and clear? Spiritual growth, spiritual growth is part of what it means to be a Christian. So let's just really identify what this looks like. To grow up as a Christian is to more and more abide with Christ. It's to walk closer and closer with Jesus. It's to increasingly adore Him, fixing your gaze upon Him and being transformed further and further into his likeness. And you hear these things and you think, well, well it, isn't that the work of the Spirit? And of course, primarily it is. That is the work of the Spirit. But God has his means, right? God uses people to accomplish his purposes. Them in our lives and, and us in their lives. And like I said, this is evident all throughout the New Testament. And I just want to offer one parallel text. If you'll just turn to Ephesians 4, you may even remember this from last year as we went through this together, but I think it's really important that we go there and, and be reminded from God's Word about the importance of, of spiritual maturity and, and how this is not just um, isolated to one spot that we have to extrapolate, but it's everywhere throughout the New Testament. So Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11, Paul again writes, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints, that's the church, for the work of ministry. Why? For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith 
and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You see the picture there? This is a picture of every member ministry. For the mutual building up of the body for the glory of God. This is his plan for the church. And back in, in 1 Corinthians, we just want to unpack now what it looks like. What, the, what does this look like in a healthy church where the members are functioning properly, contributing to one another's spiritual growth? Look at verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Notice here that when people are contributing to the maturity of the church, every member is dependent on one another. Every member is dependent on one another. No one in the church can say to anybody else, I don't need you. And we learn from this passage that if you think this way, that that you don't need others to help you in your walk with Christ, then guess what? You're chopping off your own feet. You know, this this attitude, I I don't need nobody for nothing, I I can make it on my own. These are good lines in movies, but they're horrible theology. There's no place in the church for this kind of perspective. And yet, and yet, it can be really subtle, right? So we need to examine our own hearts. We need to ask, are are my actions demonstrating that I recognize my need for others in the church? What are my commitments or, or my lack of commitments saying or indicating about what I believe is my need of others in the body Are they saying, I need you, or are they saying, I don't need you? God's design is that we need each other. So as you look around again, here's what you you need to say. I need them. I need these people. I need my church family to help me mature in Christ. This takes great humility on our part to acknowledge this, but we must get there. And we must stay there and we must grow in this thinking and we must recognize that we're dependent on the contribution of others. The most purposeful way that we express our dependence on others in this church is through our small group ministry. We realize that we're limited here on a Sunday morning. You know, this is a short time we're here and we we don't all get to do very much talking to one another. We can't... Engage too deep in the one another ministries that Scripture calls us to. And so, what we do is we encourage the various members of this body to get into smaller groups where you can more personally and practically express your dependence on others. Where we can say to to each other, I need you. I need your help to follow Christ. I need you to speak words of encouragement from the Scriptures into my life. I need you to pray for me. I need you to tell me. Where my walk isn't honoring the Lord. I need you to point me to my Savior continually. I need you to help me grow. We need one another. And not just specific one another's, right? That's the point of this passage. Look at, again, verse 22. On the contrary, he says, the parts of the body that seem, did you, did you catch that qualifier? That seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we think, we think are less honorable actually receive greater honor. 
we see here that when people are contributing to the maturity of the church, every member is appreciative of one another. We look around and we appreciate the contribution that different people make in different ways to our spiritual growth. And sometimes, like, like this says, certain members are regarded as, as less important and less necessary. But God's Word tells us this is not actually the case. In reality, they're indispensable and worthy of much honor. Listen, the contribution of each and every member of the church is valuable. You need to see that from God's Word this morning. Because some of you might look at others and think that that's not the case. And some of you might even be looking at yourselves and think, my contribution isn't valuable and that's not true. It is. When you're putting to use the gifts and the abilities that God has wired you with through His Spirit in order to faithfully serve others, you're contributing to the growth of the church. And yes, often, sometimes, out front giftedness receives this greater acclaim and, and more recognition than, than other less obvious ministries. This is not actually how God sees things. This is the just wonderful nature of the body, right? As we think even about our own human body, there's so many parts doing so many different things that we don't see that are absolutely critical to our well-being and to our health. The same is true in the church. If we're thinking biblically, then we will appreciate each other And we will recognize each person's faithful contribution and and we'll see that maybe that they're contributing to our spiritual life in greater ways than maybe we first realized. And there's some different ways to interpret what's going on here with, you know, this talk of the unpresentable parts and God giving greater honor. It could be that Paul's talking about the clothing that's used to cover up the parts of the body that aren't supposed to be seen. Or it could be that he's talking about the skin and bones that protect the inner parts of the body that that need to be where they are and not on the outside. But in any case, the point here remains the same. The point is that there's more going on than meets the eye. What some might think of as ordinary, you know, air quotes, ordinary ministries offering, you know, little comparative value are actually worthy of great recognition and appreciation. I just want to illustrate this There's several ways that I could illustrate this, by the way, several different ministries and giftedness that you all are are a part of, but I just want to draw attention to the kids' ministry for a moment. That's that's a really important role in this church, and and I just want to maybe take a minute to unpack maybe a little bit more of the layers of what's going on when when some of you are serving in those classrooms, even, even not in a teaching role. When you're in there supporting the teacher and and getting down on your knees to to serve those little kids and and just help shepherd them in some way on a Sunday morning. You're serving those kids. You're contributing in ways that we'll probably only know in eternity to the way that they view God and understand His Word. You're you're serving each other as, as fellow servants in that ministry as you work together to serve these kids and, and to serve their parents. You're serving parents when you serve in, in those classrooms because you're allowing those, those parents to know that their children are being cared for in a meaningful way. And that for, for some of them, they're able to be in here for, for maybe 40 or, or maybe 50 minutes to hear the teaching of God's Word in, in a way that is undistracted that might not be able to do if there's little ones beside you. There's a whole lot going on there. And so, and so we just, again, I just want to highlight that particular ministry. And, and I'd be remiss if in a sermon on contributing in the local church, I didn't just highlight the facts unashamedly that we need help in the children's ministry. We need more people to, to step up and serve the kids and their families and their fellow workers and the body of Christ in this meaningful way. And so I, I just ask if you would consider that this morning, maybe even thinking about it and thinking, well, maybe they don't need me. We, we need you. We need you. 
and it's important. There's no small roles in the body of Christ. Every member ministry is important. I stopped reading halfway uh, through 25. Look at the second half of verse 25 now. It says, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Here we see when people are contributing to the maturity of the church, every member is responsible for one another. Every member is responsible for one another. And again, let's not forget, Paul's writing within the framework of an analogy here. He's making reference to the human body. And he says all the different parts care for one another, right? Your hands brush your teeth, your eyelids protect your eyeballs, your feet take your whole body wherever you need to go. And these are just a few off the top of my head. I jotted these down yesterday. Quick examples, but really the list is virtually endless, right? And the point is that the various members of the body are involved in an extensive network of mutual care. And in a church that's maturing to look more and more like a biblical body of Christ, every single member recognizes their responsibility to care for others. To fulfill the one another commands found all throughout the New Testament. Do you know what I mean when I say the one another's of Scripture? Keep your eye out for the one another's in the New Testament and they'll start popping out everywhere. Here's here's a few examples. Welcome one another. Greet one another. Wait for one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Show hospitality to one another. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Pray for one another. So again, look at those around you and this time, instead of saying, I need them. Say, they need me. They need me. They they need me to one another in their life. Look at your church family and and, and say, I'm responsible for their care. Because this is the biblical reality. And this word here in verse 25, that's translated Care, it means to attend to or to be greatly concerned about. And it's the same word that that Paul says should be exercised in one another ministry across the church. This word is the same one that he uses in Philippians chapter 2. And again, I want to show you that because it's helpful to see just how Scripture is all in alignment with itself. So turn over to Philippians chapter 2. Paul's writing from prison. He's writing to a local church in Philippi. And he says these words. He doesn't know if he's going to see them again, so he's sending Timothy. All right, that's the context. And he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. So genuinely concerned there. That's the same word concern is is care in our passage Timothy will be genuinely concerned for the welfare of the church in Philippi. Verse 21, for they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Paul trusts his ministry companion Timothy to have a heart for the people in the church that he sends them and, and he knows, he's confident that he's going to go and he's going to have a gospel effect on the life of the body of Christ there. He's going to be selfish, selfless, selfless as he sacrifices himself for the sake of others. And that's what we need to be thinking about doing as well. This is the interest of Christ, Jesus. This this is what Jesus wants us to be doing. 
And don't miss the, the link that, that Paul ties in here with their, their genuine concern with the work of the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. That He came to rescue us from darkness and transfer us into the kingdom of light. And He came to effect new life in us so we would no longer look like the old person. Right? The gospel is not just only for the day of salvation. It's for every single day of our Christian lives. And each of us, if you're a follower of Christ this morning, every single one of us is responsible for caring for others in, in ways that will meaningfully shine the spotlight of the magnificent grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and His gospel. Of course, we're responsible for what we might think of as more practical day-to-day needs in the life of the church. But often what's missed is this. That at the same time, each of us is also responsible for affecting spiritual growth in others. We're responsible for one another's spiritual maturity. And this is where some of you get a little bit resistant. But listen, this, this is God's word. This is not my idea. This is God's plan. And I want to show you just a few more one another's that we're instructed to fulfill from Scripture that point us to these realities. In Romans chapter 15, Paul says this. He says to the church, the body of Christ in Rome, not exclusively the leaders, he says, I'm satisfied that you are able to instruct one another. Again, to the whole church in Colossae, Paul says, teach and admonish one another. In Hebrews chapter 3, the writer says, exhort one another, listen, every day. Exhort one another every day. It doesn't say, you know, exhort from the front on Sunday mornings for a little bit and that's it for the rest of the week. No, exhort one another, everybody in the church, every day. Later on in Hebrews, again, stir one another up to love and good works. Spur one another on. And some of you, you've not understood that this is God's plan for the church. You've not understood your responsibility for spiritual care in the lives of every member of the body. 1 Corinthians, just a couple of Chapters later in chapter 14, Paul says, strive to excel in building up the church. Are you striving to excel in building up the church? It's a good question to ask today as maybe you go home and you're thinking back on God's word and and what he's pressing in on your heart today. Are you striving to excel in building up the church? Romans 14, collectively again, Paul says, so then, Let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. I'm trying to overwhelm you with scriptural evidence this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Therefore, Paul says, encourage one another and build one another up. And I thought this week of the word contentment and how we are rightly supposed to be content in various ways. Amen? Right? That's fair, right? But listen, here's an area we can't be content in. We can't be content to not have a spiritual impact on others. None of us should be content in this way. And I mentioned our small groups. Again, it's, it's kind of hard to have a spiritual impact on everybody, but in our small groups, we've We've been focusing on these kinds of things this season and we've been looking at what it looks like to pursue a closer walk with Christ and we've been stressing this reality that walking closer with Jesus includes helping others to walk closer with Jesus. And you've been asked this question in your groups or if you've not, you will be soon. What people has God used in your life to influence your spiritual growth? Who has God put in your life that has had an impact on your spiritual maturity? 
And as you're thinking of that person, let me tell you, as, as the pastor of discipleship, I'm not asking you this, I'm telling you this, you want to be that person to some other people. You want to stand before the Lord on that day? And you, and you want to be able to, to show the Lord the people whom you've invested in for the sake of their building up in their walk with Christ. This is going to look differently for different people, even in different seasons. I just want to say as well, for some of you, you're in a season right now where you're really limited, legitimately limited in the amount of care you're able to give to others because God has you, for some reason, in a place where you need more care. And that's okay. So I don't want to burden you this morning with, with this extra obligation where it's, it's not possible for you, really, to do that. But most of us, most of us don't fit into that category. Most of us, if we're not having a spiritual impact on others, it's because we're choosing to use our time on other things, and frankly, I'll just say this, that are less important. And we have opportunities to, to have a spiritual impact on others, yes, in different ways. So for some of you, it may be more in-depth Bible teaching. For others, it may be little notes of encouragement, Christ-centered encouragement. For others, it might be coming alongside and, and showing Others, what you've been learning in, in prayer or in your time in, in God's word. Maybe it's telling others how specifically you've been praying for them. Maybe it's pointing out sin with, with courage and gentleness. Maybe it's grabbing others and, and saying, hey, let's memorize some scripture together. Whatever it is, listen, this is the point. In a maturing church, every member is responsible to look for ways to contribute to the maturity of others. I said earlier, if, if you think that you don't need others in your walk with Christ, then you're chopping off your own feet. Well, listen, if you think that others don't need you for their walk with Christ, then you're chopping off their feet. By withholding your impact in their life, you're robbing them of what, of what God wants to use in their life. May it not be this way among us. We're responsible for one another. And lastly, as we consider our contribution to the maturity and the building up of the church, let's see this. Every member is devoted to one another. Every member is devoted to one another. All of this that we've been talking about and looking at this morning is not void of deeply personal engagement. We don't just go through the motions like a bunch of heartless robots. We're meant to contribute to each other's spiritual well-being by being dedicated to enter into one another's lives with all sincerity. And in verse 26, Paul gives two examples of this. He says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. And if one member's honored, all rejoice together. And he offers these two examples, I believe, just simply to say we're meant to go through life together. Both the hard times and the sweet times. We're meant to be devoted to one another. We're meant to comfort one another in sorrow, bearing one another's burdens. Not envious or bitter when others are honored, but rejoicing with them recognizing that what happens with any one of our members affects us all. Because even though we're many, we're one. Verse 27 bookends this, this passage. Paul says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. In case you missed the analogy, he says, I'm talking to you, church. You're Christ's body. That's who you are. Rescued strangers brought together into one assembly, called to contribute to the unity and the diversity toward the maturity 
of one another. So let's be sure we're in the game. Let's be sure we're playing our part. Living for Christ as we love one another because he first loved us and gave himself for us. And as we think about what it means to to meaningfully contribute to one another in the life of the church, we need to look look to Christ and realize that when we do this, we're, we're like him. We're being like our Savior who laid down his life for a spiritual impact in us. So he's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our emulation. He's worthy of us living our lives after the pattern that he's left for us. So together as a church family, let let us stir one another on to love and good works as we contribute to the body of Christ and the building up of one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, it it pierces our hearts to the innermost being as we come and, and we see what high calling you've called us to and yet you've given us your spirit so that it's not us ourselves who do these things but it's you working in and through us. Lord, help us to yield to your leading in these ways. God, help us to be one body. Although we are different and made in unique ways, God, help us to come together as one to be concerned for one another's well-being and growth. And Lord, help us look at the author and perfecter of our faith. Help us look unto Jesus and to see that he has contributed infinitely, perfectly to us and to our well-being and grow in us, Lord, a desire to be like him as we contribute to the church that you've given to us. We pray all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.